0: the second day film podcast the official podcast of the second day film club it is thursday october 25th 2018 i'm your host brandon champion the founder of the second day film club and i will be your host here today as i said the second day film podcast is in fact a club but today i'm flying solo i'm like tom hanks and castaway floating around in the water with his trusty volleyball wilson Trying to navigate the difficult and sometimes confusing waters of cinema. Uh, my co-host, my usual co-host Evan Dean, is unavailable to uh, participate in the podcast lately. Uh, he's been busy dealing with some some life crises, you could say. Um, but you know, I've been to the theater a lot lately, and I want to. You know, it's been a couple weeks since we've put out a pod, so uh, you know, I want to make sure that you know we at least can put out something for you. Uh, doing a solo pod, I'm, I'm going to level with you, is not an ideal circumstance for doing a film podcast. I, I think what really is interesting about movies and about film is that people perceive them in different ways, and they get different things out of it. And they that's why some people love movies, some people dislike movies, and it could be the same thing. So uh, ideally, you want to have uh, as many opinions as possible on a podcast. Um, but in today's day and age with a, with a startup pod, sometimes you just got to push forward with what you got. That being said, I would love to uh, have some different opinions on the podcast. Um, I'm trying to get in the process of reaching out to uh, the film community here in West Michigan uh, to see if I can get a rolling list of guests Um, I've not really done a very good job, candidly, uh, embedding myself in that sort of culture enough to where I can have uh, some interesting and educated guests on the program, Uh, but I would definitely like to go down that road eventually. Uh, Today on the show, I'm going to talk about a few uh, different movies that I've seen in theaters lately, beginning with A Star is Born, musical drama starring Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. I'm going to follow that up with Venom, which is the Uh, standalone film on the famous Marvel anti-hero starring Tom Hardy, and also I'm going to give you my thoughts on Three Identical Strangers, which is a documentary uh, that has been making the circuits, premiered a while ago, and has gotten a lot of buzz so far here in 2018. But before I get to those movies and sort of my general thoughts on that, um, I want to remind you of ways that you can get in touch with the Second Day Film Podcast. Uh, We're on Pretty much every social media, but the big ones where you can follow us are on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can find us by going to the search bar and typing in the Second Day Film Podcast. Would really appreciate it if you could take the time to uh, give us a recommendation, leave a rating, leave a review, um, or even just leave a message and, and sort of tell us what you like and don't like about the podcast um, as I said, this is a grassroots effort. We're a small, slow-building pod, um, but you know we've gotten some decent feedback, and uh, we're starting to get a little bit more. And I, I truly appreciate that. It's it's really helpful, as anyone who's ever tried to create a product knows that um, you can't really make it better if you don't get negative and positive feedback. So if you could really do that on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Facebook, it would be much appreciated. Alright, so as I said today on the pod, I've got a trio of movies uh, that I kind of just want to talk about. I want to make a note that you know anyone who's listened to any of our previous 21 episodes knows uh, that usually when we're doing reviews on films, we'll tend to do a spoiler or a non-spoiler section. Um, since it's just me, and I don't think that you know there's going to be as much to discuss, um, considering it's just one person's opinions... I don't think that there's going to be as much of an emphasis on spoiler, non-spoiler. So um, if, if you haven't seen the movies that I'm going to talk about, uh, maybe I would recommend going to see the movies and then coming back and listening to the podcast, um, because I might you know, dive a little bit too far into spoiler territory. I can't really talk about the movies and, and provide enough critique and criticism and context if I don't provide what happens throughout the entire film. It'll just be too generic of a review with a non- with just a non-spoiler section. So, anyways, I'm going to jump into the first film here. This one is called A Star is Born. It was released uh, in early October. The plot summary from IMDb. A musician helps a young singer find fame, even as age and alcoholism send his own career into a downward spiral. As I said before, this movie stars Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, Sam Elliott is also in this movie, as is Andrew Dice Clay, Rafi Gavron, Anthony Ramos, Dave Chappelle, Alex Baldwin, and Marlon Williams, among some other uh, actors. This is Bradley Cooper's directorial debut, uh, which is pretty remarkable when you consider the level of performance that both he and Lady Gaga provide. Um, The chemistry between them in this movie is electric, uh, Cooper, who, as I said, also makes his directorial debut in this, really does a remarkable job capturing the character of Jackson Maine. Um, we we knew his acting would be there uh, throughout the movie. He he captures just how beat down this guy actually is. He's sort of talking like that with this sort of mumbly Western draw. And I don't know if part of that was is intentional to maybe portray that this guy's drunk a lot. He kind of sounds drunk a lot when he talks. Um, But what I was very impressed about was his singing ability. Uh, That's obviously something that he needs to do in a movie about an aging, fading country singer to help carry the film. And he really pulls it off in this. Uh, As for Lady Gaga, well, it turns out she's a pretty good singer, too. Um, But what is really impressive about her, kind of the opposite of of Cooper, is her acting in this is is just wow. I mean, that's really the only word I can say for her performance in this. Um, You know, I've seen her act a little bit in shows like American Horror Story Hotel, which was the fifth season of that popular show on FX. Um, But in that, she was sort of just playing this, like, kinky vampire lady um, so I wasn't really sure how that was going to translate to a movie about a rising uh, musical star, but the shuttle or shuttle the subtle greatness she shows throughout this movie is truly captivating. Um, you know, I, I think it's impressive because in real life she's sort of this larger than life figure, and that's ultimately what she becomes in the film, which she which she nails. Obviously, it's it's her real life. Uh, But I think her best moments in this film are when she's being vulnerable. It's when she's afraid to open up. It's when she's unsure of herself. It's when she's, you know, afraid to go on stage and sing and perform her songs. And her relationship with Bradley Cooper's Jackson Maine is really what what brings that out of her. And it really is a beautiful thing and really helps to illustrate uh, how wonderful their connection is. And again, the chemistry between the two leads uh, really is something to behold. I think the music in this is amazing. Uh, I'm sure they're going to sell hundreds of thousands of these soundtracks, uh, whether it's through digital download or or buying CDs. Do people still buy CDs? Do they they have CDs? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I can't even remember the last time I bought a CD. But wherever you can get music, I guarantee you this soundtrack is going to kill it. Um, Particularly the first duet between the two. I believe the song is called Shallow. Um, and then the last song that Lady Gaga performs uh, to end the film um, are, are particularly memorable, but there's other good ones as well. The songs feel so natural within the world of the film; they feel like they can actually be written and created in the world that the story takes place, rather than something that's sort of made for the screen and just inserted in. You know, you can, you can tell the difference when when a, when a song just kind of is there to be there. The movie the movie, really does a good job building up these characters and making it believable that they could create something like this. It's it's really organic to the tone and structure of the movie. I think at the Academy Awards that are coming up, you could probably put every single nominee in the Best Original Song category it could be filled with songs from this movie. So, uh, you know, the music itself is worth the price of admission. And, of course, it's performed by Lady Gaga, who is one of the, the greatest performers uh You know, in the business today, and and like I said, Bradley Cooper is actually really surprising in his ability to to deliver a believable performance as a singer. As I said sort of before, I loved how intimate and personal this movie is, despite it being about two famous musicians. Uh, The movie really focuses on their relationship and personal moments between the two of them. You know, a lot of times in movies about famous people, I think it sort of tries to make a social commentary on fame and sort of what it does to a person or how it changes a person. There's a little bit of that in here. uh, But mostly, I I think it's more of a story about just two people in love who happen to be famous. You know, they don't really change who they they are even when the fame comes. They mostly want to stay true to who they are, even when it means, in Cooper's case, uh, being a self-destructive addict. So I liked how personal and sort of small the film was, despite taking place in the backdrop of a worldwide tour. Ultimately, this is a heartbreaking film, um, but to me it didn't feel like it when I was watching it, because the love between these two people portrayed by two amazing artists is so palpable and affecting. This is, of course, a remake of the 1937 film of the same name, which, of course, was also a, a very beloved film in the history of cinema. Um, and I think that this movie goes to show that when things are done right, a remake can be a beautiful thing for a whole new generation to enjoy. I'm not a huge fan of all the remakes and reboots coming out of Hollywood lately, um, but this one really does it right. It does it with respect. It sort of puts a new modern twist on it. Um, so for those reasons and the ones I already mentioned, I really love this film. The music you'll be singing for days and you'll absolutely fall in love with both Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. I gave this film a strong, strong 8 out of 10. Go see A Star is Born. And now for something completely different Venom. If A Star is Born is a movie about a young lady becoming a musical sensation, then Venom, of course, is the birth of perhaps the world's most famous anti hero. Venom, of course, is a Marvel uh, anti-hero, superhero, super villain conglomeration that is typically known as one of the main antagonists to Spider-Man. Uh, he, of course, made an appearance in the Spider-Man 3 movie released by Sony several years ago, uh, where he was played by Topher Grace. That movie often criticized as the worst in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy, and largely because of Venom's characterization in that film. He was one of three villains that was sort of within the context of the superhero story, um, and it really just sort of felt jumbled and a little bit chaotic. This particular standalone version stars Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock, the titular Venom. The plot summary on IMDb, when Eddie Brock acquires the powers of a symbiote, he will have to release his alter ego, Venom, to save his life. This movie is directed by Reuben Flesher. It stars Tom Hardy, Michelle Williams, Riz Ahmed, Scott Hayes, Reed Scott, and Jenny Slate, among other actors and actresses. This is the first film in Sony's sort of Marvel Universe, which is, uh, from what I understand, supposed to sort of happen alongside the much more well-known Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is, of course, headed by Disney. There are some things I liked and didn't like about this movie. One thing I did like was the actual look of Venom. I think they nailed that pretty good. He, of course, has the the black skin and the big eyes and the big teeth and the long tongue uh, made famous through the comics and the animated Spider-Man show. Um, so I, I think that the filmmakers did a good job sort of capturing uh, the look of the character. It's its really creepy whenever Venom does emerge, when he's sticking his tongue out and licking his victims. It's pretty uh, both exciting uh, and terrifying at the same time, you could say. So uh, I think that's one thing that they really did well. I think that this movie does a good job of sort of portraying what happens to Tom Hardy when Venom first starts to emerge. Some of the strongest scenes in the movie are when he's emerging within eddie um it's really fun and entertaining to watch whether tom hardy is is downing frozen tater tots because he's so hungry or he, he jumps in a lobster tank in the middle of a crowded fancy restaurant and starts eating robsters law, raw um, he seems like a crackhead i'm not gonna lie i always think of the the uh, the old classic youtube viral video the Leperto- leprechaun in alabama when the lady's like, he sounds like a crackhead who got a hold of the wrong stuff." That's kind of kind of what Tom Hardy feels like when he when he's losing control of himself and venom is emerging. Um, through that, there's a lot of clever physical comedy. You really get the feeling that Eddie Brock has no control of his body, and that sort of helps to make the audience feel more uncomfortable along with him. Uh, I think the film does a decent job of putting us in his shoes and making the idea of having an alien parasite within you all the more crazy. Uh, the voice that talks to Eddie as Venom, I think, is is really effective. It's sort of this, like, Eddie, we don't like her, Eddie. So it, it, it's really interesting. In the beginning, when, when he would just sort of say, like, Eddie, or food, I think it, it's really creepy. Um, it's strange in a movie where there's no random voice, uh, for the first 45 minutes for one to just pop up out of nowhere is very jarring, but also effective. Um, so I think when used sparingly, the Venom voice was actually really interesting and sort of added another dynamic to the film. I think when they got later in it and they started using, uh, the Venom voice to sort of try and create humor, I don't think it worked all that well. It felt kind of clunky, like they were trying too hard. Most of the jokes didn't land. Uh, it's hard to execute comedy with a deep, scary Venom voice. It's it's just not really a good voice that's conducive to making things funny. So I kind of felt like most of the comedy that they tried to use, with like Venom and Eddie being one, uh, kind of missed the mark a lot. The action scenes were a mixed bag as well, in my opinion. Uh, I really liked the chase through San Francisco uh, that happens about midway through the film. I think it's shot really well. It's really fun to watch, uh, not knowing what kind of trick Venom is going to pull out next uh, because, you know, Eddie Brock doesn't even know what what Venom is going to pull out because he hasn't really harnessed his powers. Uh, They mix in Lombard Street, which is the, the famous super steep hill in San Francisco, or at least one of them. Um, and like I said, it's just funny because Eddie Brock is right there with the audience. He doesn't know when Venom is going to bust an arm out of his chest or grab a pole and flip him around or flip a car on its side or whatnot. Um, so I thought that one was pretty entertaining. Uh, the end showdown with, with, with the riot is a little less effective, I think, um, especially when Riz Ahmed's character, who has also uh, been infected by the virus, and Eddie Brock are sort of merging together to make this sort of super symbiote. It it kind of felt like a giant cesspool blob of CGI, and uh, that's putting it nicely. Uh, they, they tried to slow it down and use some effects to sort of, I would say, show off, like, ooh, look at what we did. We're so good with CGI. Look how interesting this is. Um, and, and they try and, you know, show that the act- actors are mixing in with the CGI. But it was just too much. There's too much going on it's 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 chaotic which as i said in in spider-man 3 one of its one of that movie's biggest issues was how chaotic it was and i'm starting to think that maybe venom is just a character that you can't have without chaos like his comic book character he is all over the place his personality's all over the place what he's going to do changes at any given moment his motivations change at every given moment and this movie is kind of like that the tone is all over the place it feels sort of like a horror space movie at the start. Then it's a sci-fi movie. Then it tries to mix in some comedy. There's some. There's a love story mixed in here with Michelle Williams where uh, you know Eddie Brock is doing anything he can to get her back. There's action, of course. And then, of course, at its core, you have a superhero-slash-supervillain movie. Um, and it's kind of changing throughout the entire thing, much like Venom. I also can't help but think the whole time... How this movie would be better if Spider-Man showed up. Uh, Venom, there's a reason why he's been a side character. There's a reason why a standalone Venom movie hasn't been made yet. And it's because he's really not much without Spider-Man. Every good villain needs a great superhero. Every great superhero needs a great villain. And to sort of try and change his motivations halfway through the film where, where he turns in from this... Alien parasite who wants destruction to this guy who wants to help save the people of Earth because he likes pizza doesn't really provide enough of of a justification to really full on root for Venom. He's not a superhero, and neither is Eddie Brock. Eddie Brock is supposed to be this sort of journalist. Of course, that's his character. Although the Brock Report or, or whatever flim flam they're doing in the beginning of this, I'm not exactly sure what kind of journalist he's supposed to be. Uh, As someone who is a a print, news editorial, newspaper, online journalist, uh, you know, I'm used to doing things in different mediums, but in this, he's sort of like an amalgamation of a print journalist, a blogger, a TMZ guy, and a TV reporter, Um, and what at least Tom Hardy's trying to do in those particular parts of the movie where he's supposed to be a believable reporter, he's not really, he's not pulling it off, so, um, you know, I can see why he got fired. Also what he does in the interview where he sort of tries to lambaste Riz Ahmed's character for some of his behind-the-scenes sins. And the way that he gets his information is by going through Michelle Williams, who is a lawyer who represents him, by sneaking onto her computer and going through her files. We learn that this is how he often gets a lot of his information. As a real journalist in real life, that's way out of line, and I'm glad he got fired for that. Like all Marvel movies, there is a stinger in this that comes on after the credits and sort of builds up to another film. Uh, In this particular one, Eddie Brock has returned to journalism somehow, um, and he's invited to interview an incarcerated serial killer. The serial killer in this case turns out to be Cletus Cassidy, who is, of course, the first and most well-known host of the Carnage Symbiote. Uh, He's portrayed here by Woody Harrelson, which was sort of a nice unexpected arrival that I didn't see coming. Um, Carnage is is typically portrayed as an adversary of Spider-Man and Venom, but I got to say, while Woody Harrelson's performance is convincing here in this little spoiler, or not spoiler, stinger, um, and he seems interesting, like a character you would want to watch in a whole film, unless you're like a deep comic book Marvel junkie, Most people probably aren't going to know who Woody Harrelson is, so I'm not sure that the stinger has the desired effect that the filmmakers would like it to be. That being said, just from this little shtick that Woody Harrelson is doing, uh, I'd be interested in seeing a movie with him as the main villain. Ultimately, Venom is a movie that I think most Marvel fans will be able to watch and enjoy. It's somewhat cool seeing Venom get the spotlight and sort of have a movie all to himself. But ultimately, uh, this movie's kind of all over the place. It's a little chaotic. The tone is kind of out of whack. And the whole time, I just want Spider-Man to show up because, well, Venom isn't really a true superhero. Go see Venom if you're into comic book movies. But don't expect Iron Man or the Avengers. I gave Venom a 6 out of 10. All right, moving on to the final film that I'm going to review on today's Second Day Film Podcast. This one is called Three Identical Strangers. And it's a documentary directed by Tim Wardle. The plot summary from IMDb. In 1980 New York, three young men who are all adopted meet each other and find out they're triplets who are separated at birth. Then they discover why. So I saw the trailer for this film, uh, I believe, at a screening for a movie, oh, at least several months ago. Um, And I was instantly intrigued by the trailer. Um, As a journalist... These sort of stories where you don't really know what's going on. They're human interest stories. They're stories about real people with real problems and real issues and real experiences. Uh, my, my interest was instantly piqued. The idea that identical twins uh, could find each other through a chance encounter uh, is, is is fascinating. Um, and that being said, this was a really entertaining documentary. It, it kept my interest throughout. Um when I hear the premise, again, the journalist in me has more questions than answers, like, wow, this is great that they found each other, but why were they separated? Did the parents know? Did the birth parents know? How did this really happen, and are all these things actually coincidences? And while it takes a while to get there, uh, these are questions that are ultimately brought up about an hour and, you know, I'd say about an hour into the movie. Uh, most of the beginning part of the film is sort of literally taking us on a play-by-play, step-by-step process of how the initial meeting between two of the brothers, I believe it was Bobby and Eddie, uh, met each other. And I should say that this movie, you know, obviously doesn't have any actors. It's a, or at least any credited actors. It's a, you know, it's a movie, it's a documentary. So uh, most of the time you have real-life people, Eddie Galland, David Kelman, Robert Shafran. Are the three brothers, um, and uh, they appear in the film, or at least some of them do. And it takes a while for them to actually get into the central idea of the documentary and the most compelling parts. You know, sure, meeting them meeting up in, in a random college campus is interesting, uh, but that story can only take you so far. It's about 45 minutes into the movie where things really start to turn, and at the center of this story is really the age-old debate of nature versus nurture. Uh, This, of course, is a theme that's nothing new. This is something that has been questioned and examined and debated to death, uh, both in film and in real life. So I think when you're dealing with a topic like this that has been hotly debated and discussed, like Nature versus Nurture, you really have to be willing to do something to attack it in a unique and interesting way. And I'm not sure this film does a great job of it, but it definitely does a good job of it. Um... Some of the middle scenes after they've already met each other uh, really focuses in on this sort of celebrity media tour that these three brothers went on where they're, they're triplets and they're really playing up all the things they have in common and they're really selling the fact and the media just can't get enough of all the coincidences, and I'm using air quotes right here, coincidences, and maybe it was the fact that I am a journalist and I know that these are the sort of things that we look for in stories that we tell, but um, but it kind of came off as phony to me. It's like they were trying to trick us within the documentary to think, oh, the the filmmakers and the brothers and everyone who's around this really believe in this idea that it's, it's nature that, that causes people to be the same because all these guys smoked the same cigarettes, and they had the same taste in girls, and they all wrestled in high school. So uh, the filmmakers are clearly trying to point us in a certain direction, and then as we find out at the end of the movie, they totally subvert those expectations, and the whole point is that while these brothers were clearly raised in three different environments, uh, we find out that it was a big science project, and they were basically lab rats uh, that were put in three different class homes to sort of see if it really is nature versus nurture, they were actually being studied, the results of which have not been released because they're locked away in the Yale University archives. The doctor that sort of set up this study, uh, Peter B. Neubauer, has sort of locked these results away in the Yale archives and they can't be released until 2060 something. Um, So what we find is that uh, really what the filmmakers and the brothers have to say is that it actually is nurture that is, is the driving force this story, as it plays along, is pretty biased towards the brother's story. Uh, really, the only person we have that's providing any argument from the side of the scientists uh, is one older lady who makes some pretty interesting points about free will and how people are get upset when you tell them they have no free will because it's all about nature. All these are interesting things. Um, But I don't know if the documentary dive and delved enough into the actual idea of nature versus nurture. It's kind of surface level in a lot of ways. Um, Those criticisms aside, it's a really compelling story and a compelling film. It's a fun watch. The filmmaker uses a really interesting personal touch when interviewing the subjects. He helps convey the different moods and time periods of their story by changing the lighting at different points in the interview process. I think there's some important dialogue about mental health and illness, which is a topic that isn't discussed nearly enough these days. Um, So for that reason, it's definitely worth watching. I wouldn't say it's quite as good as uh, another great documentary that was released this year called uh, Will You Be My Neighbor about Fred Rogers. That's one of my favorite films so far this year. Um, I reviewed that on a previous pod that you can go back and find. Um, but this movie is definitely an interesting watch. It's a fun watch. It's a fascinating story and one that's still kind of playing out. So and if you have questions of or questions and you you sort of like the idea of questioning free will and human will and who makes us who we are, this movie at least attempts to touch the topic, although I felt it could have been better. That being said, it's definitely worth a watch, especially if you're into documentaries. I gave Three Identical Strangers a 7 out of 10. So that's all I have for you today here on the Second Day Film Podcast. The first solo venture uh, for the SDFP. Like I said, it's not an ideal situation. I'm sure everyone is tired of hearing my voice talk for, oh, what is it, 29 straight minutes. Um, But, you know, like I said, there's a lot of good movies coming out every single week. Um, And I don't want to fall too far behind in not providing at least some content and some reviews for these movies, so the way I see it as doing it by myself is better than not doing it at all. That being said, I would love to connect with more people, more film nerds, more cinephiles. My fiancé hates when I use that word, so I'm going to say it again. I need more cinephiles to come on the show. Um, You can reach out on Facebook, The Second Day Film Podcast, you can search us on Twitter, at Second Day Film, that's all written out. iTunes and SoundCloud, just go to the search bar, type in the Second Day Film Podcast, leave us a rating or a review that's super helpful in sort of rising up the algorithm and making the podcast easier to find. I think Sam the Popcorns Correspondent said at one time that when you go to Google, you don't go to page three or four, you're going to click on the first search results, and that's kind of similar to how a lot of the social media works today. Hopefully we can come back and do another pod, and we can get Evan back on it. Hopefully we can find some new people. If you're interested in connecting and and doing it uh, and providing some commentary, I'd be open to any sort of guests and suggestions, and as I said, I'm working on sort of finding a good group of people to get a lot more opinions and different commentary on a lot of the movies coming out. First Man with Ryan Gosling is out now. More and more of the sort of quote-unquote Oscar contenders are going to keep coming out, and we'll also have some big holiday releases coming down the pipe, so The Second Day Podcast will charge forward. We'll keep watching movies, and we'll keep providing you guys some content. But again, I appreciate everyone who's listened so far throughout the year and throughout the beginning days of this podcast. I'm Brandon Champion, and until next time, we'll see you at the movies.